Hey, welcome to the Life Church Green Bay podcast. It's our mission to lead the way in bringing the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We are so glad that you're here. If this is your first time joining us, would you connect with us? We want to do life with you, and there are so many ways we can do that from wherever you are in the world. You can get connected with us and other Jesus people in one of our Facebook groups by joining us for an online service every Sunday or connecting with people through life groups and pocket churches. To learn how to get connected and find your pocket, please go to lifechurchgreenbay.com. Again, so glad you're here with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, if you don't have a traditional Bible, but you'd like one, you can just raise your hand and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also open up the YouVersion app. Or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures. Those have already been uploaded. And of course, we'll also put the scriptures right up here on the screen behind me just to make it as easy as possible on you. If you're watching us online at one of our other sites, at one of our services at the Brown County Correctional Facility, I love you. And I am so glad that you guys are a part of our family. So uh, here we are in week 17 of a group of messages that uh, talks about a book that only has six chapters. And last week, we started a message about warfare. And I told you that we are at war. We're under a constant barrage, a constant attack. And so I started telling you about three things that you need in war. I said you need to know your enemy, that you need to know your king, and that you need to know your weapons. I want to finish that last point today in a second part of a message that we're calling, I am victorious. Let's pray. God, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for who you are, what you do. God, thank you that your presence didn't need to fall in this place, didn't need to visit this place that was here long before we got here. It was in us long before we got here. And God, when instruments started to play and vocalists started to sing, something inside of us was activated. Someone inside of us was elevated, God. And so today, for my friends who are in this place, some of whom are in the middle of a storm, as Pastor Ruben talked about, God, some of whom don't understand where they're going to go, what they're going to do, who they're going to be with, who's going to help them. God, today I pray that your heart and your mind would become ours, that ours would become yours, that when we leave this place, we'd be less like us and more like you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter to a group of his friends in the city of Ephesus said, put on the whole armor of God so that you're able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Last week I said people put on lots of different armor. Some people put on armor to prepare for battle and some people put on armor to protect their wounds. I think Paul's pretty clear in this passage that this armor isn't just for defense. And I come to that conclusion because he talks about it from an offensive perspective. Like, like every piece of it can be used as a weapon. Like you can use the shield for defense or you can use the shield for offense. Have you seen Captain America? Like you can use the shoes for defense, you can use them for protection, or you can use the shoes as a weapon. Have you ever been whipped with a pair of shoes? Have you ever been spanked with a shoe before? If you haven't been, I you don't. I don't recommend it, it stinks. And so, so I wonder, what weapons do you have at your disposal? Not, not, not just what kind of armor do you have? Because sometimes really spiritual 
people, they get caught up in the minutiae. They get caught up in the intricacies of the armor. Like, ooh, what kind of breastplate was it? A, was it a Roman breastplate or was it an Egyptian breastplate? What kind of helmet? Was it the big helmet or was it the little like speed helmet? Was it like a linebacker helmet or was it like the kicker helmet with the little one tiny bar? <laughs> and I go, bro, I don't know. I'm not in a civil war reenactment where I got to make sure that my uniform, do I, like, I got to have period specific buttons put in the right place so I can go to Heritage Hill and I could pretend. I'm not in a civil war reenactment. I'm at war. So, so look, here's the deal. Just win, okay? Throw the shield, uh, hit him with the helmet, kick him with the shoes. I don't care what it is that you do. I just, I just want you to win. I want you to win in your marriages, and I want you to win with your kids and with your money and with your mental health. It, it, it's not all about the armor. It's about winning the war. Uh, but since, since God has given access to the armor and told us to put it on, uh, we should learn what it is, and, and we should understand that each one of these that's listed, they are, they are very specific, they are very intentional. Each piece is meant to combat against one of the enemy's tricks and tactics. He's gonna attack you in certain ways, so God gives us weapons to defend ourselves from those certain ways. So he says, put on the, the whole armor of God. But he starts with this, he says, first, put on the belt of truth. What is the opposite of truth? It's lies. This isn't one of those trick questions. You ever have people ask you a trick question and you think you, yeah, you yell it out? They go, no. And then you feel silly. No. The opposite of truth is lies. And I wonder, are there any lies in the world? <laughs> have you watched the news? Like it's, like you, you, can, you, can, you, can watch, uh, you can watch one channel and they say one thing. And, and then you flip three channels over, and they're talking about the same thing, and they say the total opposite thing. And you're like, well, I mean, I don't know who, who to believe. Uh, my grandma told me one thing. She said, there are three sides to every story. My side, your side, and the truth. And so Jesus says that Satan, he is the, he is the father of lies. He, he is the inventor of them. Lying is his native language. It's his native tongue. It's all he does. It's all he's ever done. And so when you and I lie, we're actually doing something demonic. And for the record, a lie is where you don't tell the truth or where you only tell part of the truth. And so Satan, he's, he's going to lie to you and he lies all the time. And he doesn't need for something to be true for it to be powerful. Have you ever noticed that? For example, uh, if I were a doctor and, uh, and I were to come to you today and I were to tell you that you have cancer and that you only have two weeks to live, whether that's true or whether that's false, it is going to dramatically impact your life. It'll absolutely impact the next two weeks of your life. Or uh, if, I, if I walked up to one of the ladies in this room right now and I said, um, I don't know how to tell you this. I, I hate to be the one to say this. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, uh, but your husband, he's got a girlfriend. He's, he's been unfaithful, actually, your entire marriage. I mean, it's not true. 
But if she believes that it's true, doesn't that affect their relationship? Absolutely. Satan does that kind of stuff all the time because he knows it doesn't need to be true. He just needs to get you to believe that it's true. And so he's going to lie to you constantly about God, about yourself, about your spouse, your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your coworkers, your boss. And, and, and some of you, you're governed by lies, lies that have been with you from the drop, lies that have been spoken over you while you were in your mama's womb. You know that there is in-womb imprinting, that words that are spoken over you, they, they will impact you even before you breathe your first breath outside of the womb. And the enemy has been trying to kill you since before, like before, before you were born. And so some of you are governed by lies and Satan's got this this deep foothold in your life. In all of your life, you've heard things like, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, no one loves you, God doesn't want you, what you've done is unforgivable. Lies, and, and those lies have you in bondage, but the truth is what gets you out of captivity. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Know your weapons, put on your belt of truth. Next, you have the breastplate of righteousness. And, and what he's talking about here is guarding your heart. One of Satan's tricks and tactics is temptation. Have you ever been hmm, tempted? I mean, Jesus was, Luke chapter 4 and, and Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to Jesus in a moment of weakness. He comes to Jesus in the middle of a fast, and he, he doesn't come to him at the beginning of the fast. To come to him at the end of the fast, he comes to him in, in the middle. You ever fasted? <laughs> oh, it sucks. It sucks. I hate, I hate it. I hate, I hate, every, I, I hate everything about fasting. I hate, except the results. I love that. Oh my gosh. I've never one time had somebody tell me, hey, guess what? 21 days of fasting, and we go, yay, <laughs> no sugar. Here's what I think. If God didn't want us to eat sugar, he shouldn't have made it. That's all I'm saying. Sometimes I'll go 21 days without it, but I ain't cutting it out for life. I'm just saying, the devil is a liar. I don't want somebody to come and attack me in the middle of my, you notice when you're about to start a fast, man, you're like, oh yeah, I'm not going to be on social media for 21 days, sucker. You're like, you got resolve. And you get like six days in, you're like, bro, I haven't played Farmville. <laughs> What's happening to my friends with fiends? Like, I don't know what. But then you get to the end of a fast and you got like a day left. You ever had a day left in the fast and suddenly your heart grows two sizes that day? Like you, it's like, so the enemy will come in the middle, the middle of the toughest time of your life and he will tempt you. And so Hebrews 4 says, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us. He's been tempted, watch this, in every way we are. But he didn't sin. And so one of the lies that the enemy is going to try to tell you is that if you are tempted, you are already guilty. You are already sinning. If you are tempted, you may as well just do it. You may as well just follow through. But no, that's not true. There's a difference between temptation 
and sin. Jesus was tempted, but never sinned. You're going to be tempted, but you don't have to sin. If you wear the breastplate of righteousness, if you protect your heart, it doesn't have to pierce or harm you. Protect yourself. Guard your heart. Don't give it away to people who are going to drag you into stuff you shouldn't be into. I had a mentor years ago who said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Pastor Keith at the men's retreat this weekend, he said he was talking, he, he started out talking about it if, if from a financial standpoint, but he said, if you, take, if you take the net worth of the five people in your life who are closest to you, your net worth will be a derivative of their net worth. It will be very similar to them. So if you hang around po' folk, then you're gonna be, you're gonna be po'. If you hang around with rich folk, then you're, you know why you become wealthier when you hang around with people who are successful? Because you learn things from them. You learn how to eliminate excuses. You learn how to eliminate obstacles. You learn how to live in a mindset that isn't a, you know, a poverty mindset is a demonic spirit. Let me just say that for a minute. Okay, anybody who told you you're supposed to live your whole life poor, I'm not talking about you ain't got to be Bill Gates. But you got to be able to pay that rent. You know what I'm saying? Not, you can't be like coming up and going, man, how am I going to pay for my Chevy Cavalier in two days? Like you, you got to live your life to where God, God has given you more than, than you ever needed. And so Pastor Keith said, you put yourself the five people who are around you. And I would say the same thing spiritually. Take the five people who you have in your life who, who are closest to you and ask yourself, where are they at spiritually? What are the things that they're caught up in? What are the things that they talk about? What, what is the health level of the five people closest to you? If everybody in your life is unhealthy, you're going to be unhealthy. And, and so don't take the gifts that God has given you and surrender them to people who don't have your best intentions at heart. So if you surround yourself with people who are ugly, and I'm not talking about ugly people like ugly, ugly, because, you know, I'm talking, about, I'm talking about ugly spirit. If you, if you surround yourself with people who are negative, you wonder why you think negative about yourself. If you surround yourself with people who talk trash about people all the time, then you're going to wonder why you feel like you want to talk trash all the time. And so you've got to guard your heart and not give it away to people who shouldn't have access or proximity to you. And so the next time you're tempted, you need to remind yourself, this is, this is not a temptation. This is a demonic attack. Satan is trying to kill me. He is trying to destroy me. That's why he doesn't send ugly women to flirt with you. So put on the breastplate of righteousness. Next, he talks about having your feet covered and having them be ready. He says, put on the shoes of the gospel. I'll say, cover your feet with the boots of the gospel because combat boots just seem to be more appropriate in, in this kind of setting. Like I have a friend who was in the military and he was deployed during conflict. And I don't know if this is standard operating procedure, but he said that his commanding officer had them so always sleep with their boots on because the enemy doesn't hold office hours. He doesn't only attack between nine and five. I envision for anybody who's my age or older, the old Bugs Bunny cartoon where Bugs Bunny had the sheepdog and the coyote and the sheepdog and the coyote would fight and they would bring the little lunch bucket and they would clock, they would clock in together like they was homies. They'd clock in and then they would go fight and then the bell, 
the bell would go off, they'd get back together, clock out, and they would go kick it. That's not the enemy. That is not spiritual warfare. Satan is always attacking people. And if we'd actually start living our lives like we believe that we're at war, we wouldn't be so disappointed or frustrated when we're under attack. We would understand that we are always in our enemy's crosshairs, and so are our loved ones. And so we cover our feet with the shoes of the gospel because the prophet Isaiah said, how beautiful are the feet of these who bring the good news. The gospel is the good news. So the reason you sleep with your boots on is so that you can bring the gospel to whoever, whenever there's an opportunity because this is war. And I want you to wrap your mind around that image, the image of the fact that we are in a struggle, we are in a battle. Wrap your mind around this idea that Jesus came into a battlefield, that he left his kingdom and he came into a kingdom of rebellion. He left a place of peace and came into a place of war. He humbled himself. He took on human flesh. In every way, he faced all that we face. Satan tempted him. Satan empowered others to oppose him. Demons were brought against him in the form and the bodies of those who were possessed. I I want you to see Jesus' life on earth like he is a soldier in war, not a long-haired hippie therapist who's just out having conversations and counseling sessions with his BFFs. This book says, think about a warrior king who was out trying to take enemy territory and Satan and his demons and religious people are all in opposition to him. It is a battle. He was exhausted. That's why he slept in the back of the boat. His life was under constant attack. He was disrespected, gossiped about, betrayed by one of his own best friends, he was forced to carry a cross for your sake and mine. He died in the place of his entire kingdom, but he died to win a great victory. And Satan and his demons, they held us captive. They had ownership over us through sin. We were their possession. We were part of their kingdom, but our sinless king died in our place, forgave our sins, conquered Satan and his demons, and they set the captives free, took us as his possession, made us citizens of his kingdom. Then he ascended to heaven where he rules and reigns as a king in a kingdom that will never end. And someday he's coming back to do away with this insurrection once and for all. But we need to know the whole story so we can understand our place in it. We are not in the kingdom of God yet. We're marching toward it. Our enemy has been defeated, but he hasn't been destroyed or disarmed yet. There are still firefights. The battle still rages. That's why he says to always be ready. It's why he says that we need to sleep with our boots on, to be ready to share the gospel, the good news, anytime the opportunity presents itself so that other captives can be set free and become citizens of the kingdom of God. He says, put on the shoes of the gospel. Here's the fourth. It says to hold the shield of faith. Any guys, uh, you like watching those like midi- like night sh- movies, like medieval movies where people fight and there's a lot of blood and you know this. It's like uh, I, I just watched a movie. I don't know how how appropriate it is for kids or people, but it's it's called The Last Duel. It's the storyline super sick. It's got like the same story from three different perspectives. And so you hear the story from one person's perspective and then they rewind it. And then you hear it from the second person's perspective and then you rewind it. It's basically what you do with your kids. And then they told the story from the third perspective and, and then you see what the, what the real story was. Or, okay, for maybe you like Christian people, you really save people. Uh, you've ever watched the Lord of the Rings movies? 
That's like a Christian excuse to be able to watch gory movies. You go, oh, well, I mean, it's, it's written by a Christian guy. Anyway, like they have these, like these battle scenes, is my point. And uh, one of the things that they do in these battle scenes is uh, they shoot fiery arrows. This is why we're supposed to take up the shield of the faith, because we're supposed to use it to extinguish fiery arrows. And in medieval times, they would take their arrows and they would dip them in fire, and, th and then they would shoot them at the enemy before the enemy could charge. And, and if you don't have something to catch and extinguish those arrows, the ground around you catches on fire and it surrounds you, it engulfs you in flames. And so in the medieval times, they would take their shields and they would soak them in water so that when the uh, flaming arrow hit the shield, the fire would go out. And those flaming arrows for you are vain regrets. Because Satan will haunt you with things that Jesus has already forgiven you of. And those thoughts, man, they come out of nowhere. Regrets, accusations, insecurities, things like you're not loved. You're not even forgiven. You're never going to change. You ain't nothing but a hypocrite. All you are, you're just a fraud. But can I tell you that anytime you hear the word you, it's not you, it's your enemy. Culture will call it negative self-talk, but what we really know is, is that it is demonic accusations. The book of Revelation says, Satan is our accuser and he accuses us before God day and night. You, you, you ever have days where it feels like it's raining, flaming arrows, everything you've ever done, every way you've ever failed, every sin you've ever committed, every mistake you've ever made is just raining down on you? It's a demonic attack. It's not God condemning you, accusing you, shaming you, or opposing you. It is your enemy shooting you. So what do you do? You hold up the shield of faith and say, nah, I trust the Bible. I trust God. I trust Jesus. I trust his words. I trust his thoughts. I trust his truth. Hold the shield of faith. Next, he says, you need to put on the helmet of salvation, and this is to protect your mind, your thoughts, your decisions, make your, your decision making. It, 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 you got to get your head on straight. <laughs> any of you ever sustained a head injury? Any of you, uh, any of you old football players, you, 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 you ever get uh, knocked out? You ever get, well, they, they used to have what they call concussion protocol. Used, we didn't even know what concussions were. They used to just say you got your bell rung. And, and uh, this is how they determined if you could still play. You didn't go into a tent. They didn't have no flashlight. This is how they determined if you could still play. Is he awake? <laughs> and the coach would come up to you and he'd have like smelling salts or, or he'd have a little packet and he, he'd pack that this filled with iodine and you'd smell. And man, iodine could have woken Lazarus up before Jesus. Like they, this, the smell of that stuff will wake up anybody. And it's like, if you, if you are awake, you are playing. And uh, one time, one time I, I, I got, I think I got knocked out. Uh, I, was, uh, I was a linebacker in college. I was playing and a tight end uh, came across the middle and, and I, I pr 
propelled myself. This is like the rocket man, rocket man. Like this was back when you could still hit people with your helmet and I propelled myself and I, my helmet hit his helmet. And it was like, you know, in a superhero movie, I, uh, I don't know the words for them. I don't watch superhero movies because I'm an adult, but like when the, I'm just playing, when the, when the two, like the mega guys, they'll hit each other and there'll be like a boom and they'll both fall backwards and whoever gets up first wins. That's what it was like. I like hit this tight end and we both like flew backwards and I got up and he was still down. So I figured that I won, but I was like really dizzy. And so I felt like I needed to maybe uh, take a play off. And so I walked over and I sat down on the bench and a coach comes over to me, says, bro, you okay? I said, yeah, coach, I think I'm okay. I think I just need to play off. He said, then why are you sitting on the wrong bench? <laughs> sitting on the other team's bench. <laughs> Pretty sure I got knocked out. And it's amazing what one little blow to the head can do. Friends, you're going to get hit. You're going to get rattled. You're going to get attacked. And some of those attacks are going to come from what look like mm, friendlies. You ever been attacked from the inside? I wrestled with this next part. I, I wrestled with whether or not I wanted to talk about this. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but for the last two years, we've been going through a pandemic. It sucked. It's like terrible. I mean, the offshoots of COVID are... It feels like the offshoots of it can sometimes feel like worse than the actual... Thing that we're fighting against. Life is funny that way. I mean, we know that COVID sucked because a bunch of dudes in here had to do puzzles. And so we knew that <laughs> this is terrible. We're locked in our houses with people that have to do puzzles with. And so you, you come out of something like this and, and like you, Pastor Sonny and I are connected to lots of different churches, lots of different pastors. And, and one of the things that we've discovered is that most churches have not come back to more than 25% attendance of what they were pre-pandemic. And it's difficult. It's, uh, it grieves you. It makes you sad. Like, I mean, uh, when you're, what you feel like is your productivity level <laughs> dips below optimal means. And I think part of that is because the enemy's doing everything he can to destroy the one vehicle that God designed to charge the gates of hell. That God designed the church to be the thing that would bring people to Jesus and would destroy. He said, on this rock, I will build my, I will build, let's be interactive like it's picture pages. I will build my, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But guess what? If the enemy could take out the church, he doesn't have a church from which he has to prevail against. And so done, tons of people just decided, man, we're not going to go to church no more. We're going to watch it on Facebook or we're going to listen to a podcast or whatever. And then what happened to us, man? And I, well, this is what I wasn't going to talk about. But we, but, but, but we had some like stuff on the inside that happened. And here's the thing about me that you'll, some of y'all don't know me like you, like you old cats know me, but we live our lives, Pastor Sonny and I, by a an adage that we learned from Bob Goff. We want our lives to be 100% kindness and 0% drama. So for us, 
in the last year and a half, we've had some people who were on our team that have just dipped out, left, just picked, took their ball and went home. And it sucks, you know, when you have people who are part of something who aren't part of something anymore. But for Pastor Sonny and I, we wanted to respect these beautiful people whom we love, who are part of our family, and we didn't want to say anything about why. It's not, it's just go, well, it's their business. It's not my business to talk about why somebody did what somebody did. Not like if you leave this church, I ain't going to tell nobody why you left the church. I don't know. Maybe you think I got bad breath. That's your prerogative. But when a bunch of people start asking why people did stuff, and then all of a sudden it's bringing dissension, I thought, why am I going to honor people who aren't honoring the thing that God told us to honor? And so here's the thing. There, there are like staff people, people who used to work here, who they, they, they don't work here anymore. And I, I know what they told me. Like, I, want to, I want to focus on the family. I got another opportunity. I'm going to benefits for my kids. I'm going to, I want to start a business. I know what I heard, but then suddenly I also know what some of y'all heard. And I go, I wish I could give you better answers as to why some people who used to work here don't work here no more. I know what they told me, but I can't control what they told you. But what I can do is I can tell you how you need to respond. You need to respond with grace. And you need to have the wisdom where your mind is protected because not everything somebody who loves God says is truth. Not everything that somebody who loves God says is for your best intention. My assumption is that some people aren't part of our gig anymore uh, because I have a different kind of vision. And sometimes when vision changes, you know, when sometimes when you become a part of something and then that, that, that vision adjusts, sometimes you're just like, cool, bro. I'm gonna go do this, I wanna do something else. Cool, man, just let, let me know, cool. But somewhere about a year ago, God gave me an extension of the vision. The vision is Life Church exists to bring life giving messages to the people of the 920. And then God added two words to the same. He said, Life Church exists to bring the life giving message of Jesus to the people of the 920 and beyond, like in, you know, like Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> and God put a call on my life that I didn't want on my life. God asked me to go to the most despicable, disgusting, demonic, unchurched cities in America. So he asked, he asked me to go to Portland, Seattle, and Detroit. Have you been to Portland? <laughs> Nobody who goes wants to go back. Matter of fact, people who are there don't even want to be there anymore. I got a really good friend, uh, his name's Jason. He owns uh, a chain of cigar lounges in Portland and he had one downtown. He called me. He said, hey, bro, I got to uh, close my cigar lounge in downtown Portland. I said, why? He said, I don't feel safe when I walk from the shop to the car. <laughs> Jason is six foot 10, 360 pounds. 
he's the biggest human I've ever met. I was like, bro, you could eat me with some Hassenpfeffer on me. Like, are you kidding me? You're going to tell me that you're afraid to be in this city? Yes. And, and people just aren't, the churches are closing. Pastors are leaving in droves. And I feel like God just said, bro, I want you to, but here's the thing. He didn't ask me to leave here. So like to me, I go, well, what is what's the thing? Like, okay, I, I can be here and I, I can't be here all the time, but I can be here, you know, most of the time. And I think for some of those people, there was like a rebellion that rose up within them, that the enemy spoke to them and said, the vision changed. The vision didn't change. The vision just grew. The vision just got different. The vision just expanded. But sometimes there will be an attack that comes from the inside of your camp because God's not the only one that can bless people. Sometimes the enemy hands out blessings to people who are going to do things that are going to contradict what it is that God's called you to do, but you've got to keep your head on straight. You've got to protect your thoughts. The book of Romans says a mind governed by the flesh is hostile. It, it, it doesn't submit to God because it can't. And so you've got to put on the helmet of salvation. Finally, you've got to grab the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's our best weapon. In Genesis chapter three, we see the first spiritual battle in the history of the world. God said, you can do all of this stuff, just don't do one thing. But then Satan comes along and his first attack is against the word of God. He asks, did God really say? And he made them question God. And you see, as long as Adam and Eve held the truth of God's word in their hands, they had a weapon to fight against Satan and his lies. But when he came along and got them to question God's word, he disarmed them. When Adam and Eve questioned God's word, it was an act of surrender. And I want to tell you today that when you stop reading your Bible, that's an act of surrender. When you stop submitting to the truth of God's word, that is an act of surrender. When you stop going to a Bible-believing church and sitting underneath biblical teaching, that is an act of of surrender, but every time you pick up the Bible and say, I've gotta read this today, I've gotta to study this today, that is an act of war. You are declaring war on Satan, his demons, and the kingdom of darkness. But we live in a day where people will try to convince you that you don't need this because you've got psychology, and therapy, and spirituality, and even churches who come along and say, let's just love, we don't need the good news. Let's just do good deeds. Let's turn ourselves into a social service organization because no one ever shoots up a food bank. Let, let, let's get away from using the name of Jesus because the name of Jesus is offensive in some corners of our culture. So let's get away from using the name of Jesus and just point people to a higher power. I mean, does it really matter what we call him? Yeah, yeah. it does actually. And I didn't make it up. The book says there's no other name except the name of Jesus. In fact, the book of Acts says that salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which you may be saved. And when you live like that, the media is going to be upset and critics are going to be upset and people who disagree with you are going to be upset. But guess what? We are at War, <laughs> and at some point, you are going to have to pick a side. I dare you to do that today. I dare you to put on the full armor of God. Would you close your eyes all across this place? You know, salvation 
Salvation is recognizing that you're not wearing the right outfit. Genesis says that the moment that Adam and Eve entered into sin, they thought they were naked and they were ashamed. So I wonder if you're here today and you feel naked and ashamed. You say, Sean, I, I, I can't, not only do I not have on the full armor of God, I have on no armor of God. I have no protection from the enemy. And so your life is under a constant barrage and the barriers and the boundaries are being breached and you're in this place and you're at the end of your rope. Well, before you can put on the full armor of God, you've got to receive him as your Lord and Savior. So this morning, I wonder if you're here and you say, Sean, I've not done that, but I'd like to. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that. Here's how. In just a moment, I'm going to ask for people to do two things. First is with nobody looking around in just a moment, I'm going to ask for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus, but would like to have one to raise their hand and make eye contact with me. Once you've made eye contact with me, you can put your hand down and then I'm going to ask everyone in this place to repeat a prayer after me. If you repeat that prayer and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I'd like to before I leave this place with nobody looking around. Would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me right now? Thank you, thank you, thanks, thank you, thanks, thanks. Cool, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I've got sin in my life, but I don't want it. Take it away, get rid of it, I give it to you. Come into my heart, make me different, make me new, be my Lord, be my Savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, I just want the opportunity to connect with you. Our team wants the opportunity to connect with you. So if you'll take this card that's in the seat back in front of you, it says hello across the top. Fill out whatever information you're okay with that. Tear it off. Put it in the black buckets when it comes around here at the end. Or you can scan the QR code on the back of your seat or the QR code on the screen. And that will give us your information and the opportunity to connect with you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes again before we receive the Lord's tithes in your offering. What if you're here and you say, Sean, I'm saved. I'm a Jesus guy, I'm a Jesus girl, but I'm not wearing the armor. Maybe you're just lacking one piece. Maybe you're lacking all of it. And you say, Sean, today I wanna put my armor back on. I recognize, I realize that I'm in a fight and I wanna prepare myself for the next surge. If that's you, I wanna pray for you. If you're not wearing all your armor, would you raise your hand today so I can pray for you? Yeah, God, for so many people in this place today, I pray blessings on them, I pray peace over them, I pray today that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard their hearts and their minds, God. That in this place today, I pray for protection over marriages, children, parents, finances, homes, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this week. Did you know we have discussion questions for each message? You can download them and talk it over with your friends and family. Go to lifechurchgreenbay.com to download today.